0: what's brewing atx jonathan Ratcliffe, virtually here alongside our awesome co-hosts greg carlson and ian grossman what's up fellas How? what is going on Good to see you, John. yeah buddy yeah buddy today we will be interviewing one of my best friends brandon chambers uh, we refer to him as Chambers, who is the assistant head coach of Texas Southern University, and he's going to tell us about what it takes to be a coach in the NCAA. Welcome to What's Brewing ATX, Chambers. What's going on, man? What's
1: up, man? This is, uh, I was saying earlier, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, so,
2: you know, it's yeah. been pretty
1: cool, too, living in Houston and driving to Austin to uh, and checking out some of the spots that you guys talk about. It's pretty uh pretty
0: cool yeah chambers of course texas southern is in in houston only two and a half hours away so during this whole quarantine thing uh one of the few activities that we can do is golf so we've been golfing and taking each other's money from time to time so that's been fun um anyhow let's get right into it as a reminder this is your one-stop shop for all things atx from tips on the food and beverage scene to developments in the real estate world To interviews with local small businesses and those making a big impact in our community, and of course, we always feature a local beer, wine, or spirit each week, so that you can get your little taste of what Austin has to offer. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at What's Brewing ATX. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Give us that five-star rating if we deserve it, and uh, be sure to stick around for the weekly brew at the end of the episode, where Greg is going to tell us about. A huge mixed-use project anchored by grocery store HEB and Chanel Capsule Cosmetics Factory. Stay tuned. We're gonna hear all about it. Oh, yeah. So, Ian, what
2: are we drinking today, sir? Wow. Well, we should be drinking something a little more exciting since it's Friday, and it's actually technically a holiday because tomorrow's Fourth of July. True. And, um, yeah, but it's hot out there, guys. So I think we're all going for the good old H two O. Water. Noth- nothing fancy today. We're not uh, repping any local beers, wines, or liquors like we normally do. We're just making sure we stay hydrated because it's probably gonna be a busy weekend for a lot of us. A lot yeah, of us and guess up-
0: what? Water could be local wherever you
2: are. So water right. can be it can always be local. Uh, so stay hydrated. To all the listeners, because this summer is going to be a hot one. Let's drink. Let's drink. I actually do need to take a quick sip. Let's. But now that we're all hydrated, uh, Chambers. Yeah. Heard a lot about you. And I think the listeners want to hear a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about how you get. Obviously, we know how to become a coach but not at the level you're at. Tell us a little bit about your path and how you ended up as a college basketball coach.
1: Yeah, to be honest, it's, uh, you know, there's a traditional route and then there's a route that I took. I tell everyone I was the luckiest guy in the world. Um, you know, I, to be honest, like and John knew me in college, you know, I've grown so much since my college years, but I didn't go to VCU to play ball. I, you know, I played in high school. I was a good basketball player. As I was, I was probably actually better at football and uh, I kind of fell into it. You know, I wish there was like some great John Wooden or Bobby Knight story where I grew up as a young kid and always knew I wanted to coach, and you know, and had this uh, you know unbelievable vision as a seven-year-old. But it just it didn't it didn't transpire that way. Which is part of the unique thing of coaching is that people kind of fall into it. And if you ask any coach, they say uh, they got really lucky. Um, so for me, you know, I was a regular student, uh, to be honest, I think John and I were probably hanging out at a sorority house and we were friends with some of the guys on the VCU team and just kind of started up casual conversation with Eric Maynard, uh, who was, uh, he, he he ended up getting drafted 20th overall to the Utah jazz, but he was a junior at the time at VCU, big time point guard, uh, for us. And. Uh, Joey Rodriguez was also with them. Larry Sanders, a couple other guys on the team. Larry got drafted, fifteenth uh, overall to the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, yeah, they just they just said, "Hey, what do you think about being a student manager?" And at that time, to be honest, I had no idea what a student manager was, uh, to, and I had no interest in doing it. <laughs> you, you know, if it, it meant hanging out with the, the players a little bit more, that I thought that sounded pretty cool. Uh, so. Couple weeks later, I was up at three o'clock in the morning studying for a macroeconomics test, and uh which most college students I think do, uh, and just realized, man, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Uh emailed this is how naive I was, Anthony Grant, who is now the head coach at Dayton, uh, and they had a tremendous year this year. Uh, he has p- projected one of the top two picks in the NBA draft, uh, Obi Toppin. Uh, well, he was the head coach of VCU at the time. I just sent him an email and I just, is three, three o'clock in the morning. I sent him an email, just said, Hey, met these guys, know the GAs would love to, uh, to help out. And, uh, again, that's how naive I was. And, but, you know, just kind of in the coaching industry, you meet a lot of good people. Well, he emailed me back, at, I think at seven o'clock in the morning and just said, Hey, we'd love to have you. Uh, season just ended, you know, come in the office, meet the, you know, meet the guys interview with the director of basketball operations and to. You know, like I wish again. I wish it was a great, elaborate story, but that's how I got into it. And uh, I, you know, there's probably two or three different places in my career that I got lucky. Well, Shaka Smart ends up getting hired two weeks later. Anthony Grant leaves immediately after we exchanged emails. I was helping out in the office here and there, and then Shaka Smart gets hired. And two years later, my senior year, we go to a Final Four. So uh, again, I wish you know it kind of propelled me into coaching. But I wish I had this, you know, conviction, you know, this disposition as a kid to, you know, know I wanted to coach, but I just kind of fell into it. But
2: being a, being an assistant manager, it's not the sexiest job, you know,
1: especially when you're a student, right? Right. So when you're a student manager, you're basically in charge of everything that no one thinks about. So like if you were to go to a practice or shoot, if you guys played sports, You guys kind of know the deal. You show up and the water's full. Uh, The chairs are out. The towels are out. You know, when you're shooting or, you know, I'm a basketball coach. So if you're shooting a basketball, you have people there rebounding for you. Uh, If you want to get in the gym late at night, you call somebody. And a lot of times it's a student manager. You know, that's typically the jobs that they do. If there's someone that wants to be a coach, I would say that's the bare minimum. You know, that's the price of entry. Uh, I would say that most student managers that know they want to coach they live in the office you know i mean for me too that was balancing a lot of things family obviously my friends uh you know but it, like there was nights that you know i'd be i don't know hanging out with buddies and jay gavin would call me hey you know can i get in the gym and i'd swipe him in on a rebound form at 11 o'clock at night uh joey rodriguez would hit me at six in the morning hey i want to get in the gym and I'd have to go meet him. Um, there were also other nights where we had a big game the next day or a big game that night, and maybe we had a function at school or something, you know, socially that that all my friends were going to, and I had to make sacrifices in that regard. Um, and, and to be honest, it was funny because my buddies – this is a, a humble jab at myself, but, you know, John and uh, a couple other buddies uh, who we're actually planning on doing a trip with in a couple of weeks – they were avid VCU basketball fans. There's no football team there. So it's kind of the, the lifeblood of the the school. And they would all sit literally right next to the VCU bench and just heckle me the entire game as I'm like grabbing water and towels for players. And at cool. it was, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they would like joke with, with, you know, me after the game or in the game, really, uh, you know, Hey, you're not grabbing the water fast enough. Or, you know, they take pictures <laughs> of me and, uh we, but it was all
0: shot the the if there was if he was on a game on live tv we'd dvr it and send it back to him send it across everybody of course <laughs> yeah uh,
1: and, well you know at the end of the day man like you know and john uh was there as well you know we went to a final four so it, it it's all worth it you know and and it's just a it's a valuable lesson in life too that everyone has a a role and the elite teams are the teams that you have elite role players, you know, it's not, everyone can be a leading scorer. Not everyone can be a head coach, but there's also jobs that may not be the sexiest, but it takes somebody to do it at an elite level. Um, you know, we used to always joke as student managers back then, you know, Duke basketball, there was like this myth that they would get their chairs and water out in like six seconds at a media timeout. So in, in college basketball, there's two halves two 20 minute halves. So, Twenty in the first, twenty in the second, and then in throughout the game at the Division One level, there's media timeouts. So at 16, 12, and eight, there's media timeouts. So at sixteen minutes, we'd like be like sitting there with like six chairs and like water bottles and like sprint out. And uh, funny story, so that was our goal. Like there was this myth that like we got to get this thing out in six seconds. We got to be Duke, and uh, so our water we had water bottles, but we also had like the tray you put on a Gatorade thing. So I was trying to like sprint out one time and the I think John actually might have been at the game and the rug of like where our guys would walk was like kind of lifted up and my dress shoe caught it and I just freaking ate it and just I
0: spinned. wasn't there but if I was I would have or maybe I was there but if I was I would be we'd be talking about this forever I didn't know about that. <laughs>
1: hey, yeah, it was I mean that's a fireball offense too. Uh middle of a game like of Smart does not care if uh if your shoe got caught, he only cares about it getting his, his guys hydrated. So, yeah, it's not the sexiest job. But at the end of the day, man, we went to a final four and uh, it was a, a really unique experience that propelled me in my career.
3: So, Chambers, how would you describe your coaching philosophy and has it evolved over the years uh, after being around young folks
1: Yeah, for me, it's always been, well, I would start with the first thing I would say is my why. So, and John obviously knows me on a personal level. So my dad passed away 10 years ago from ALS and, uh, you know, he was diagnosed in February, 2006 and passed away in April, 2010. So during those years, I graduated college in 2011. So you can just kind of put together the, the timeline during those years, you know, you're, you're trying to be a regular kid. You're trying to You know, live your life, but at the same time, you're also dealing with these personal issues and personal matters. And uh, for me, I was really fortunate that I had coaches and and a strong support base around me that helped me mature, grow, develop. uh, Really, you know, I was a pain in the ass back then. Uh, I had this victim's mentality uh, as a kid, and and uh, helped me through that process. And it really was those coaches. I think we all can kind of point back to one or two people in our life that have helped us throughout the journey and uh, stuck with us. And so for me, it was always those coaches. and, And Shaka Smart was one of the guys that I think he is an elite coach, but an even better person. And I know that sounds cliche, but he is really a genuine person. Uh, and he's very relationship oriented. His career has, I I would say one of his strengths and one of the reasons why his career has blossomed how it has is because of his ability to build relationships. And so for me, I just, I always took that with me. I can remember, you know, my first job, I I took a division three, which for levels purposes. So you have your high majors, which is, you know, division one, the blue bloods, and then you have your mid majors, which is and it's not kind of a gray area because there's so much money that's pumped in the basketball, like your VCUs, uh, you know, any of those kind of schools. schools. Yeah. Well, Georgetown would be a high major school because of the success they've had in the conference. Um, really it, it's dictated. It's more so dictated by the level of player that you can get. Like Gonzaga would be considered a mid major because of their conference, but they're absolutely not a, a mid major. They're a high major, um, school. So, Uh, And then you have your division two teams, which is a a different level in the NCAA. And then you have division three. Division three is very unique because it doesn't offer scholarships. So I get thrown into the fire at 22, 23 years old. I coached division three for four years. I was working on my master's degree. And where was uh, that at? Misericordia University. It's in Dallas, Pennsylvania. I, I used to tell recruits that it was in Dallas. And then the third or fourth conversation, I would say it was in Dallas, Pennsylvania, not Dallas, <laughs> Texas, because um, a lot of times it's population fifteen hundred. You know, so you have these kids calling, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's in Dallas," and and then you uh, and then you have to explain to them that it's actually thirty five minutes south in the sticks of uh, near Scranton, in the sticks of Pennsylvania. So, and then they say, "Well, yeah, I watched The Office," and I am like, it's "Yeah, nothing like that." Um, so, but I remember calling Shaka like, I, I think I might've been on the job two or three months at the division three school and we don't offer scholarships. So relationships are so important. And I just said, coach, I, I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so lost. You know, I was thrown into the fire and I was at a young age. I'm coaching guys that are literally 21 years old. I'm 22 and I'm recruiting guys that are three, four years younger than me. And, uh, he just said, don't worry about getting the kid, just build relationships. And that is what I've really taken with me throughout my career. And, not just in recruiting, but also or coaching, but also with the networking aspect of things, connecting with people and just really just try to build relationships and be an elite relationship person. And to be honest, I've had to hit every rung and it's served me very well.
2: So, you're saying your focus and you were doing recruiting and stuff, your focus was so much uh, more emphasized on how do I get people to this school and, and how do I sell the school? And less about like, how can I connect with this person to make them trust me and, and
1: want to come here just because of the relationship we built or right. Yeah. So it's more, more so the latter. So for me, we have a lot and and it's, I I feel bad because I'm a coach, but I also want to respect our, our profession. And I, I do feel like I need to be honest about our profession. I think we have a lot of used car salesmen. And I just told myself I was never going to be that kind of guy. I was never going to promise a player minutes, I was, especially as an assistant. It's just you don't really do that. But I never wanted to tell people that they'd be the dude or, you know, try to sell them on playing time or, you know, about the co- head coach. Uh, I'd be very honest and brutal. I'm a firm believer that truth wins. And I also didn't want any kid to show up, especially at the Division three level where they're paying for school. So you're talking about I was at two private schools. In Division Three, it's forty-five thousand dollars a year to go to. Um, the only thing they can get is academic scholarships. So, if you were Albert Einstein, and then also had a high need, high need, which it, it's dictated by the EFC, your estimated uh, financial contribution. If you had a high need, you would basically still be paying twenty grand a year to go to school. And uh, so, for me, I'm sitting there thinking, like, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to coach at the Division Three level, I have to feel good about a kid saying yes to me i didn't want to lie to them or feel like i was you know like i said used car salesman i don't want to be selling them a jaguar and i was really you know they were getting a honda civic you know what i mean um so you know i i just try to build relationships and, and it's crazy because a lot of people would look at it backwards you know they would say you know like i tell kids all the time look not every school is right for every kid not every kid's right for every school so for me it's it's, I'm excited. If, if, if there's a school that offers a kid now or, uh, gets in, you know, involved, I think that's awesome because for me, this is not a one-year deal. It's not a four-year deal. This is a lifetime deal. Whether you decide to come play for me or not, or come to my school or not, I'm still going to be involved in your life. And I make that very, very clear in the recruiting process. Uh, I'm very, very active on my phone. I'm always texting out things and calling and, uh, I, there's an element of selling and marketing your school. You absolutely have to show that you have the resources necessary or that your head coach or the level is, uh, you know, fits there's, you know, alignment and fit are important. But at the same time, if, if I felt like I was losing that trust, just personally, I just wouldn't be able to do it.
0: And I, and I can attest to, to him being so focused on relationships, like, I mean in a joking way if you're around him you'll see that he's on the phone he's texting he's getting calls and and that's just part of his nature of having to communicate with so many people at different times but also since even the quarantine like taking advantage of of that and how can I connect you know coaches with people in the industry I mean you've created this you know zoom call that that you've that you've now been it's almost like a podcast really that he's been connecting like-minded Coaches like yourself uh, all across the league uh, and what Stan Van Gundy was a guest. Like, I mean, some of the guests that you've had on there are pretty ridiculous. Um, So that's that's awesome. And that's just purely based on relationships.
1: Well, it's crazy because it started before that. And um, I don't even know if you know this, John, but basically, so I was coaching Division three, just kind of go through my career real quick. I was coaching Division three. I was working full-time, but I was killing myself. Um, I was at a school, Marymount University. It's in Arlington, Virginia. And uh, I was also working in the admissions uh, department as well as a admissions specialist. So I was working 7 to 3, if you guys know traffic at all in the D.C. area. I mean, you're talking getting up at 5 in the morning just for an hour and a half commute. And it's actually 20 miles away, uh, which is crazy. So you know you're you're doing that every day for two years i the division three level there's no restrictions recruiting so i would be out every single day and you're talking about driving to philly uh driving to jersey drive driving out west to roanoke or south to north carolina or richmond and uh i was just killing myself man and uh you know i i just realized i needed a change so I got out of division three i turned down actually a full-time assistant division two job uh at, at belmont abbey and uh people thought i was crazy i said hey i'm gonna go coach high school for a year i coached at paul the six high school i'd encourage anyone listening or you guys as well to look at the league uh it's the wcac league it's traditionally known as the powerhouse of high school basketball i just to put it in perspective before I continue the story, we had 11 Division One players, and we finished sixth in our conference. Uh, I coached a McDonald's All-American. We had two McDonald's in our league. So Markel Fultz was at DeMatha, uh, and I coached VJ King, who ended up going to Louisville. So it just, it, I mean, it's crazy. And the, the craziest part is they weren't even the best player in the league. There's a guy at Maryland. There's a kid at Maryland now named Anthony Callen, who's a heck of a player. And I think he might have won the MVP that year, which is insane. Uh but anyways, I did that for a year. And what that allowed me to do is it allowed me to really focus on myself and my network. And so getting back to my point, this is kind of where it all started. I realized very early, I'm an avid reader and we can talk books or articles or whatever it might be um, at some point in this thing. But I just I post I post stuff all the time, you know, motivation, books, whatever it might be, articles. And one of my friends said, Hey man, this is great stuff, keep it up. And it just clicked. I'm like, man, I think a lot of people are like me or a lot of coaches, like your education doesn't end. It formally ends after you end college, but it doesn't unformally end until basically, you know, you stop learning, you, you know, stop yourself from learning. Right. Well, if you're driven, yes. But most people, I, I would say the majority of people, they stop learning after, after they finish college. Right. So for me, I just, you know, I read all this stuff, but I, you know, even you guys doing this kind of stuff, you're, you're obviously, intrinsic and and you're trying to tap into some sort of space and learn from people, um, which has been awesome too, as a listener. But so I, I realized, man, I can kind of gather this stuff and send it out. So I started a website, coachingclipboard.org. And uh, I learned I could go on every school's athletic website and take all their email addresses. And I started a MailChimp account. And I sent an email out every Monday morning to about 5,000 people. So it started then with kind of this, I don't know, creative technology slash networking type deal. And I met a lot of people that way. And that's how I got on at Nevada uh, with Eric Musselman. But then moving now into four or five years later, you know, being a Texas Southern, our season gets cut short. We're at our conference tournament in Birmingham. Our final four gets canceled. Everything gets shut down. A buddy and I we're, we're talking, we're just like, man, this is, you know, it's kind of a blow, not just to us, but also to young coaches. So how do we come out on top, you know, and we were kind of, and, and as coaches, you're always on the phone asking, hey, how are you guys doing? What are you guys doing with your players? Uh, what are you guys doing recruiting? Or how do you handle this situation X's and O's wise? You're always kind of picking each other's brains um, in your network. And uh, so... Uh, my one of my best friends in coaching and i just said you know what let's uh let's just put together something and and you know invite our close friends you know our just an elite group of people and it to be honest it's grown and blown up it was i think 15 people in a zoom call and this was like way before the zoom craze uh you know like it there was like a wave i'm sure you guys have had had them too where it's like oh, everyone's yeah. going to zoom uh, but this was right when it hit in March, and uh, so we started this thing, and it went. And, and we don't care about level or title. I, I know people in the audience or attendees might care, but for us, it was just we don't market it. We just say, "Hey, how do we, you know, go about you know providing service and, and connecting and teaching people?" And so it's an open Q and A type deal. And uh, again, the first speakers I think were jamie and christian who's the head coach at george washington university have known jamie and he was an assistant at vcu as i was leaving he was on his way in um he's had a tremendous amount of success his brother younger brother is actually one of my best friends in coaching too he's assistant with the washington wizards uh jarell christian and uh so it was him and jordan sperber you guys wouldn't know that name he's an analytics guy in, in college basketball but he's big time and uh, to be honest, it's, it's blown up. I mean, John mentioned Stan Van Gundy. We've had guys like uh, Bob Ritchie, who's the head coach at Furman. They're going to have a 28-30 win team this year. Uh, to other coaches, um, my buddy uh, Mahmoud Abdel Fada. He's the head coach of the Rio Grande Vipers. It's a G League team. To Phil Beckner, who's a longtime college coach. Uh, he's Damian Lillard's workout trainer now. Uh, started a company, be better, be different. Um, to I've tried to grab mental coaches. You know, I'm a firm believer in you know, w- as coaches, we're always pouring into other people's buckets. Well, who's pouring into ours? You know, because um, your bucket obviously becomes dry, and then how do you provide for other people? Uh, so I've had mental coaches. Uh, Russ Rouch works with Dan Quinn and Eric Spolstra, uh, and and actually with the Miami, the entire Miami he, he meets with them once a week uh, to. As John mentioned, Stan Van Gundy. We had Taylor Jenkins on. He's the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, we've had one of my mentors who I work for at Misericordia, Trevor Woodruff. Uh, he's now the head women's coach at Bucknell. Has had a tremendous amount of success. Uh, we've had big-time college coaches, Tom Crean, uh, Shaka Smart, Buzz Williams. We're planning on having my head coach next week. And this and, is all uh, in the last just
0: few months, really. You're doing like one or two a week I don't right?
1: promote it and, and and the group's grown to over a hundred. I just send an email out. I do like a, a graphic because I feel like I want to make it special for the speaker. Yeah. Uh but you know, and like this just yesterday we had Tim Kite. I don't know if you guys listen to other people's podcasts, but Tim Kite does an incredible podcast with Urban Meyer. Uh and, and, and to be honest, before I talk about Tim Kite, because he's really important, but we've had like Dave Anderson uh rattles and their two writers um i mean just a a bunch of people that have tremendous impact in our industry i'm sure you guys could find impact in in their industry as Fran friend is another guy who's a big big time kevin eastman is another big time guy but you know so we get tim kite and again i like what happens is you invite people they say hey can i bring a friend and then they say hey uh i got a great guy that would want to speak uh what do you think about this guy and so I have Tim Kite on and I would encourage all of you guys to, uh, to uh, check out his work, it's unbelievable. He has a company called Focus Three. It, it's uh, focused on leadership, culture, communication, and uh, again, his podcast with Urban Meyer. Well, in March, at the beginning of this COVID, uh, COVID deal, he gets the news from a doctor that he has stage four non-curable uh, cancer and uh it was it's just his perspective i know john and i've been talking about being stoic and stoicism is so unique it's almost like you read all these self-help or leadership books and uh he goes into he just I mean he, he's talking about it on my zoom deal and he's just like yeah he smiled when he got the news he's like I, I smiled and it's like now we're gonna see if this shit really matters you know he's like i'm built for this and i'm just like that's unbelievable. It, like his perspective, he's like, I do all these things right now for free. I don't charge anybody. I'm just trying to pump my message out because I believe in it that much. And it's just been so impactful. And, and again, too. So like we've connected to other people and um, it's been really cool in that regard. But also for me, it's been really cool because I've got to have those experiences and uh, really just learn. Uh, so anyways, long, long, one-winded answer, yes, you know, during this COVID break, it's, it's been obviously tough for everybody, but for us, you know, my, a buddy of mine, I heard this quote and I thought it was genius. Same for you guys, too. Is he said, the people that are going to come out on top of this coronavirus are the people that are intrinsically motivated. And for us, you know, we found a, a way to provide impact and, and some sort of meaning every week for coaches, and it's been really cool.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, and, and that kind of leads into the next question, I guess is you know, I know you've worked for a lot of difficult coaches, staff. Uh, we won't name all the names, but I mean, describe to me the culture changes from team to team. So, just real quick, I'm going to just give a high level. You went from VCU, started as student manager, went to a final four there, Mizzou, uh, Mizzou Cordia, Marymount. Paul VI, and then went to Nevada after that, right? And you got a sweet 16 there, which that was only a couple years ago. Pretty awesome. And now at Texas Southern as an assistant coach. Um, All these places, of course, probably had some differences between the personnel, coaches, staff, of course, players. Describe to us, though, some of those, um, or I guess you could say how important culture is and how different it is from team to
1: team. Well, side note first, because I know we're getting obviously down in the nitty gritty. Ian and Greg, John has taken money from me on the golf course, but I know for sure right now, if I bet him $5, if he can name the school that I worked at in Dallas, Pennsylvania, because you butchered that school's name, you could not do it. So I could (laughs) win some money back right now.
0: Misericordia.
1: Yep. That's $5. I just won. Um, Misericordia. We used to tell, well, we don't I mean, it's don't share this, but we would say it's misery, which is not a good way to describe (laughs) it. Cordia. So it's misericordia. Yeah. yeah. I Um, did my best. Yeah, I did my best. Five Um, bucks. Yeah, no, five bucks. Uh, So, I mean, and I can go through all the schools and it's been, I've been, again, the luckiest guy in the world, been very fortunate. So I work for a guy in Shaka Smart. There's coaches that go throughout their entire careers and never make a final four shoot. There's coaches that never make an NCAA tournament. Good, good coaches too. Exactly. And, and for me, like, I hate really talking about myself, but I've been really fortunate. So I go from Shaka smart, who's elite at relationships. He's a great coach. I think the standard, I gotta stop, any-
0: you. I gotta stop you. you. You keep saying you're so lucky. And I know you believe that to an extent, but I've been there every step of the way too, and I know the grind that you've had to make in each, each, you know, each school you went to, each section or part of your life that you were in at that time. And I don't—I'm a firm believer that it wasn't really just luck; it was you positioning yourself with the things that we talked about in this podcast, and that's relationships and you know, hard work. So I'm just gonna put that put that in there while you keep going.
1: Yeah. Oh. No. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And, and I do want to like, we'll touch on that. Just remind me of the proximity principle principle by Ken Coleman. He, ha- he also has a book too. remind me of that. And and I do appreciate that because I do think for me, I've tried to be in the driver's seat with this whole thing and, and their sacrifices. Like I've missed birthdays. I've missed holidays. I've missed special events. Uh, I moved across the country. You know, I just got engaged and I packed up my uh, Nissan Altima and left my fiance behind. Um, so it's been tough for sure. And I appreciate She's with them now, by the way, (laughs) yeah, she still, uh, fortunate, but you know, it's the hardest job in the world too, is being a coach's wife. And, um, so, and, but I do appreciate that people do recognize the, and I don't believe in luck either. So I just say that to make myself sound a little more humble, I guess. (laughs) Um, Hey man, truth wins. No, but in all seriousness, I, do, I don't I do like talking about my career, but I do think I've been able to be really fortunate to work for some really good people and had a lot of success. So I go to VCU, jump on with the team. We go to a Final Four, right? And I got to see how the right way to do everything in the business, you know, to program outside the, you know, community relations, recruiting relationships with the players x's and o's player development you name it i got to see it all at a high high level actually i think this is a fun fact you guys can quiz your buddies on this shaka smart has the biggest head coaching tree in all of college basketball um which is crazy because you know you what think of like mean? bill Self or coach k so shaka i think has like eight or nine guys that have worked for him that have become head coaches Oh, wow. and it's like this unique deal that coaches, especially head coaches, when you're really good at what you do, especially as an assistant, they never want to lose you. And it's not they sabotage, but they almost Kamikaze any a chance that you have for a head coaching job because they don't want to lose you and they don't they know how much value you provide to their staff. And it's such a wins and loss. We're on a platform where you're judged basically in the public. and uh, I mean if you lose a good assistant coach, that could mean, whether or not you get the next big time recruit, or you are able to, you know, develop your players, whatever it might be. And, uh, Chuck has done an unbelievable job moving people on in his, you know, in their careers and getting them jobs. Um, so anyways, back to my story. So yeah. So I, then I worked for Trevor Woodruff and, and the next couple of names you, you guys might not know them, but they're some of the best coaches I've ever been around. I worked for Trevor Woodruff. we, Break the school record for wins, have the best season in school history, go to the first NCAA tournament in the school. Uh, He goes on. I left. I got my graduate degree and and moved back down to DC. He goes on to go to the University of Scranton on the women's side, and he goes 113 and 10, 113 wins and 10 losses. And I think five years, which is, or four years, which is crazy. Uh, And then gets the job at Bucknell, just went 24 and six this past year and won their conference um so he's he's an unbelievable coach he'll he'll be a high major division one women's head coach here in the next two three years there's no doubt uh, i worked for a guy chris rogers at marymount uh well trevor was one of the best in-game coaches and teachers of the game that i had ever seen just unbelievable almost like john wooden type i mean he's just so good with how he goes about his day-to-day in practice in game uh just coaching philosophy and then i go to a school marymount university with chris rogers he taught me a lot about discipline and detail you know when you're recruiting division three your you start your list starts with 350 names in the summer and you whittle it down and you hope to get four or five of those guys division one it's a lot different because you have scholarships division three you're just recruiting this massive amount and there's other division threes and so uh, to be honest a lot of it comes down to financial aid packages at the end of of you know they come out um, in the springtime. And, and that's what a lot of families make their decisions based off as they should. Um, but you know, Chris talked to me about, you know, told me about, uh, or, or taught me uh, about detail and discipline and, and how to stay organized with the recruiting and just the everyday practice. He's one of the most detailed people I've ever been around. Uh, we break the school record for wins that my first year, we re-break the school record for wins that's actually been the the best record that they've had in school history as well. I didn't plan that stuff. I just think when you're around elite people, good things happen. Uh, I ended up going. Uh, I was working AAU at the time. I coached with Team Takeover, which is one of the best AAU programs in the country. Uh, Keith Stevens and Doug Martin are two unbelievable human beings. Worked for them for actually as I was going through my process of coaching Division Three. I coached AAU at the, at, at the same time in the summers. Um, and, uh, and then took the high school job with Glenn Farello. Glenn Farello is, I call him the godfather. He's one of the nicest humans. He's like your best friend. You never knew you had, like you talk to him and everything is about you. And he wants to know if you try to flip it, you know, Hey, how's your wife doing? Or he's he immediately turns it back to you, you know, and, and, you know, Hey, no, but how's your wife doing? Um, how, you know, how, how's so-and-so doing? And he just, He's just that kind of guy, and, and to, like, to be honest, I've had all this success with, at all these schools. We won twenty games there. We had a, you know eleven Division One players. We had a McDonald's All American. Uh, we lost in the state championship in uh, Virginia, uh, but I joke because we went twenty and fourteen, and and I actually hurt his winning percentage um, that year. So I've had all the success, but you know I, I screwed up his winning percentage. He's can like he, one like each,
0: each of those teams. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. Vastly different and amazing coaches they were. How different was the culture going from a VCU, a you know a mid-major school, which that's is much great, bigger than some question. of the Marymount and you know
1: the other schools. Well, high school. so Division three and and high school is very different uh, from a Division one program. And then like Nevada, you know, like again, Shaka Smart and Eric Musselman, you have two of the best coaches in college basketball, two elite minds. They're everyday guys in Division Three. I'll get to high school next, but Division Three—it's those guys. They're not paying; they're paying to go to school. They're not—you're not giving them a scholarship. Um, so, a lot of those guys, to be honest, it's more of a hobby. And I hate saying that because some of my favorite players—and they've been very dedicated—but even the rules are different. It's supposed to be uh, kind of committed. The Division Three level is supposed to be committed to the academic side of things. Um, but like division three we can't work with our players all summer so we lose them at the final four and then we get them back october 15th so Mm. that's a huge gap from april to october and division one they get like a month off and then they come back to campus for individual workouts or team workouts now uh and you have four hours a week every week to work with them basically all throughout the summer as long as they're in summer school up until two or three weeks before the the school year starts and then you're back into it. So only four hours a week. Yeah. So the, it's called Kara hours, countable hours. Um, basically the NCAA and it's changed drastically over the last 10, 15 years. So it used to be only individual workouts where you could have a group up to three and you're working on just strictly skill stuff. Then they included the team workouts. A lot of teams will go on foreign tours. So foreign tours, give you the ability to practice nine practices for up to, I think it's like, I don't know, two and a half hours, two hours. It takes out the or the care limit. Um, and, and, but you have four hours and you have four hours in the weight room. So you have eight hours total and you can split it however you want to. Uh, most coaches go Monday through Thursday and give them Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. You don't want to burn them out in the summer, but you know, it's, yeah you know, it's grown, uh, tremendously, you know, from, from nothing to individual workouts. Now it's a all year, 12 month deal. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's even the levels, you know, going to, going to high school, you know, that was a big adjustment for me because now you're dealing with kids that instead of being young adults, now you really have kids in their developmental years where you have to be very conscious of what you say and how hard you push them. And, you know, you want to, as coaches, I, I actually tell people we're more psychologists than we are coaches. We try to just trick kids, you know, basically into doing what we want them to do. The player development, nexus and O's, that's a given for most coaches. But most, most of the time, you're just trying to convince them to work harder, to be better on and off the court, teach them values, all that stuff. And so I, you know, like you try to like trick them to, to, to work harder. So in college, it's a little easier because you have the carrot of playing professionally or The adulation of you know winning a big game or being in the paper or being on ESPN, whatever it might be. In high school, it's a little harder. They're you know taking a full load of high school classes and then they're 14 years old and you know you can't really use the pro aspect for most kids. So it's a little, a little more different. But yeah, no, that's that's actually one of the more unique questions that I've ever gotten about level uh, is just the cultural level of each individual age group or level in that. NCAA.
2: I think um, I think my next question kind of rolls nicely with that because when you think of I'm a huge college basketball fan. I went to University of Arizona, which before you rush to judgment, uh, we've had a lot of uh, we've been in the spotlight a lot lately for some recruiting uh, allegations. Nothing's been proven, but um, when you get to that level, and especially you're at the big schools, the blue bloods, Duke, Kentucky, um, you know these programs where who knows what these guys are you know what's getting them to actually commit to those schools um but i look at a coach like sean miller who is arguably when you look at his record and his recruiting history is one of the top coaches in the in the country and he still hasn't been to a final four um and that's one of the you know he recruits McDonald's All-Americans and one and Duns and DeAndre Ayton, who we got a couple years ago, was number one pick in the NBA draft. And you look at these guys, and we're still not winning. So you got to change up the formula, which they've actually started doing this year. But when you look at kind of your path and and where you want to end up, um what's what's the the path look like? What's the goal? Is it to become a head coach? Is it to win a final four or is it to become a coach in the nba um you know what does that look like for you
1: yeah well first off i don't know why you'd ever leave arizona because well i know the summers can be brutal but the uh i mean arizona west coast best coast it's there's at austin is very very humid um (laughs) so i can't i have no idea why you left but And I, and I can see why, you know, that state, any school in that state has tremendous amount of success, but
0: he's saying this in Houston, Houston's very humid. Austin can be humid, but it's not nearly
1: like Houston. man, it's this weather is no joke. It is no joke, man. Um, (sighs) It'll knock you to your knees. That's no, and that's no lie. For me, the biggest thing has been, I've always been driven myself. I, I, there's no doubt I want to be a head coach and in due time, I think that will happen. Hopefully it will happen because I know there's a lot of good coaches out there. And I know there's, to be honest, it's like this. I don't believe in luck, but I do believe in a, a lot of luck has to happen. Uh, just coincidental, coincidental things to to get a job. You have to be in the right place at the right time. And, and again, I'll go back to the Ken Coleman proximity principle um, in a second. But for me, it's just be a head coach and, and whichever form, fashion, level, that happens i'll be happy with at some day you know at some point in my career i want to run my own program um i'm very very happy where i'm at but i also am very driven and i'm always trying to rein in my own emotion and my own mind and try to be present but my mind is always thinking about the next step and you know you're i think it's human nature just to always kind of be thinking about you know how do you become the you know better? Or how do you get the next title? Or, you know, and I think that there's nothing wrong with that as long as you channel it the right way. But for me, it's, yeah, of course, I want to be a head coach. I don't know what level I've thought about the G League. I've had some opportunities there in the past. I interviewed over the last few years for three different jobs in the G League, I've, you know, thought about making the jump to the NBA. To be honest, I've had other opportunities at other levels, other schools. You know, my biggest thing is being around people that are invested in your success as much as or more than you are and that's at the end of the day if i think if anybody in any form or fashion any industry any career path if they're around people if they work for people that are invested in them like that you know you, you're on the trajectory that you that, want to be on
0: that's interesting because it's not it's not like a there's not an end game i want to be an nba coach and the best or or uh, coach k one day you know i want to be around the best people and wherever that path takes me then you know, let it take me. That's really nice perspective to hear.
1: Yeah, for me, it's. I think people. There, I'm a big quotes guy too. So, like, there's no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs, and I've had to take every single stair. I went from high level to high school to Division three AAU. I've worked every camp. Um, I think when you lose, you know, we talk about this all the time, and with stoicism. When you lose sight of the now and the present, you start thinking about things in a, you know, results oriented fashion and not process oriented, you know, in a day to day, how am I going to go one and oh today? And I think you can get wrapped up in the wrong things or your path can alter from where you want it to be. So for if, for me, you know, back to my point is, yeah, I just try to just be as good as I can be today, provide value to my players and impact people and by doing that, I've been really successful. I've had a lot of success. I've been around really good people, and I think if I continue to do to do that, you know, I, obviously you have to align yourself with certain people or certain places. But you know, I'm not I'm not too concerned with any of that stuff.
3: What's the last book you read?
1: Oof. Uh, so I usually read three or four. I'm OCD by nature. Um, John knows that. I can. I don't shut up talking. Um, <laughs> And, we don't uh, know
0: that now. I'm just kidding. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, seriously. Um, so I actually got a couple. Um, so I was telling John about this great book, "Obstacles the Way." Ryan Holiday. He actually lives in Austin. I was trying to set up a uh, time for John and I to grab coffee with him. Great book. It's about you know stoicism. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. I actually listened to your guys' New Year's. Uh, it wasn't New Year's, but it was around you know January December. Your book list. Uh, by the way, I actually texted John too and said, man, these are great books. Uh, I just finished rich dad, poor dad, great book on, uh, money Mm -hmm. management. Robert Kiyosaki is one of the best, I think just not even just the aspect of money, but changing your perceptions of money. Uh, Jim Collins book, good to great is the one I just finished. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just finished make your bed. It's a good one. Uh, Admiral McRaven. Uh, wrote that one about his ten lessons he learned from SEAL training. He was at uh, my
0: he did he did that famous speech at my graduation. That's pretty cool. Oh, I didn't
1: know that was really? at your graduation. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. He references it in the book quite a bit. Um John and I were just talking. I finished the book Last Lecture, uh, which is a great book. Oh. Um uh, I read that one talks time about yeah great it's in and, and I think you guys actually might have mentioned that in the uh the deal but Yeah. So I usually read three or four at the the same time. And, you know, I'm again, I'm OCD. So when I read, I, every single time I see something, I like, I, you know, put quote or, you know, so I have like, uh, you know, in the morning I try to read for 30 minutes afternoon, I try to grab something. And then at night I, you know, as you're kind of dozing off, I don't watch TV. You know, John actually got me hooked on a show, uh, alone <laughs>
0: we've all been watching this. Whoa.
1: Whoa. dude i i just watched Actually, like seven episodes Gre- ian podcast.
0: you can thank ian ian yeah i got greg said something it. to greg and- greg said something to me and i said something That's to funny. you so
1: we're all no watching. it's crazy well you know what this because john got me on season six so i stayed at like i was at john's place maybe three weeks ago two weeks i don't even know i'm losing track of time and I stayed up to like three and we had like a tea time at like seven, too. And I stayed up to like three watching this show. It's like season six, too, So it's gone through like five seasons of like ironing out all the details. And so I watched season one with, with my fiance the other day and we got like seven episodes in, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, this is not the show. Like I'm telling you, it's so much better than this. It yeah. was still pretty good, but it wasn't like, You know, like the, the, I think the people they choose are a little bit more dialed in. And, um, but you know, like they're like dropping out after a week, uh, you know, and that in season six, they're like there for like 90 days. Anyway, we've totally gone down a rabbit hole here. Um, but no, I don't watch TVs. I I watch, you know, my fiance watches, you know, her typical reality trash TV, but, uh, (laughs) outside of that, you know. I, I don't I don't watch ESPN. I don't watch the news. I I just read books. And if I do watch something, a lot of times it's a documentary or I don't yeah. know. One of my favorite quotes, by I'm a big book guy. So if, you, if we can dive into books, this could be a whole this could go totally a whole different route. But uh, Mark Twain has a great quote. And uh, it, it I'm going to butcher this, too. Probably it's uh, a man who does not read good books, has no advantage over the man who doesn't know how to read and so it it, i mean like or you can talk about education you know like people there's many quotes on you know your formal education doesn't end um when college ends it only ends when you want it to end i mean there's you know i'm a big quotes guy i have a quotes file it's 25 pages long of all my favorite quotes i stole that idea from shaka he's he you know he has a massive quotes file and i started collecting Things that I saw, you know, again, I'll pull out my book. So you guys can see, like I'll have concept. I don't know if you guys can even see that. Concept, concept, phrase. For those who aren't
0: for those who can't see and it's just a podcast, he's showing us his book right now with a bunch of highlighting and yeah tabs.
1: Yeah, so I go back and I just put yeah, type it back into my my document and um and if any of you guys want it or the book list that I have, it's 217 books of uh, books that I've read. Um, we
0: might, we might have to get that for you and, and uh, post it for the listeners. Yeah, That'd be so, awesome.
1: But so real uh, quick,
0: then what, what kind of inspiring message can you give to listeners that, you know, aspire to be in the world of sports, whether an athlete or a coach um, you, you've had a long road. So what can you say as a kind of parting words to somebody who's looking up to that?
1: Yeah. So I would say there's probably a couple things. Number one, you got to just bloom where you're planted. You know, I get this question all the time. I do a lot of zoom or podcasts, you know, about my career. And I, again, I tell people I got really lucky. I hit the lottery a couple of times. And I think you have to hit the lottery. You know, like a lot of high school coaches will reach out and say, Hey, I don't have exposure or anything like this. So I would say bloom where you're planted. Obviously your most important job is the job that you have. Uh, you know, people look at, I think they they see these Coach Ks, they see these Bill Selfs, or these big-time blue-blood coaches, and they're like, man, like, how do I get to that point? Well, there's a lot of time and experience and steps in the process that you have to take to get there. So bloom where you're planted. Whatever job you have, be the elite at it. And uh, and then the next thing I would say is be a shark. Uh, for, for me, I uh, I think if I were to do it again, I would be more aggressive in my approach. Uh, And when I say that, not in a egotistical, narcissistic way, I would just be more aggressive with networking, more aggressive in trying to figure out the equation of being on a division one staff. Because it's, again, like I'll get to the proximity principle. Ken Coleman has this philosophy, he wrote a book um, called Proximity Principle, and and it's basically, you have to be around people that want to do what you do um, or are doing what you do at a high level. And that's how you get to where you want to get to. So if you want to be in coaching, you have to be around elite level coaches that are doing what you're doing or doing what you want to do. And those people will then help out you throughout your career. Same and thing for
0: athletes, right? Like be around the best, the
1: best that no you question. can. Play, best play training. with the best that you can. Yeah. Be a pro before you're a pro. And, uh, and you know, it's like the, 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 the second part of that is, in the proximity principle, he talks about just because you do these things, that's just the price of admission. That's just the, let me get you in the door. Right. The next thing is, is perseverance. You know, people forget how long it takes to get that first opportunity. You know, people think a overnight success happened overnight. It happened days and days and days and long hours and burning the midnight oil, like uh, Thomas Edison, his quote, you know, I didn't find, you know, I didn't fail. I've just found 10,000 ways that didn't work, uh, when he was creating the light bulb, you know, things like that. It there's, it's such a long road. Like I'm, this is my 11th year now coaching. And, uh, if I didn't have perseverance, there's so many guys that, that I know that in my first one, two, three years of coaching are not in the business anymore. Um, and they just, for whatever reason, they just thought that, something else was a better route to take, or they can make more money. And, you know, for me, it was, I was always, I didn't have a plan B, all my energy was invested in plan A, and it wasn't going to fail. Uh, so those would be the, the the two or three things I would say. Obviously, if anyone has any, any questions, or I don't even know the, the audience, I, I follow this, not necessarily for the drinking advice, or different things, local breweries, or whatever it might be. But more so, there's been some unique ones uh, that I've listened to, but I don't mind giving my cell phone number out 804-787-4288. you can find me on social media. Anyone that has any advice or needs any advice or any direction. I always told myself when I was a AAU coach, high school coach, when no one cared about me, I'd go to the Final four and people are kind of like looking at your polo to see where you you know where you work at and that's kind of a mess messed up way. To look in your industry, but it, it's actually probably how people look at you in life too. Uh, in any industry, is that kind of how important are you? Is you know basically what they're trying to figure out. And obviously, when you're coaching AAU or high school, they're they don't really you know they're like okay who's this guy. So I just told myself back then if I could ever give back to the younger people, I would absolutely do that. So if anyone has a uh, a question, comment, advice, needs that you know, Sorry, Sir Isaac I- Newton said. Uh, standing on the shoulders of giants it's a great phrase basically i know john we've talked about it. using the intellectual property of the people that have come before to advance our technology and in philosophy moving forward and so it, uh, people using their career path now standing on the shoulders of giants it's a phrase uh basically that we're all dwarfs and we have to stand on the shoulder to see farther uh in the into the future and and uh for me, it's. I've had some giants. I've been able to stand on the shoulders of Eric Musselman, Shaka Smart, Trevor Woodruff, all the guys that I work for and mentioned. And uh, hopefully, one day, I'm one of those giants, and I can help people down the road.
0: Thank you for sharing, my friend, and thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. We'll, we'll at the end of the episode here, we'll uh, share your your Instagram and Twitter handle so that people can follow you there as well. And uh, that leads us to Mr. Gregory, favorite part of the episode.
3: Well, folks, you're going to definitely want to make sure you're sitting down for this one. You're going to have to buckle your seatbelts because it's it's time for this week's weekly brew, brew,
2: brew. (laughs)
3: Yes, folks, you've all heard of the domain. The domain is 800-acre mixed-use space that's also known by locals as a miniature version of downtown. What we're seeing across the entire Austin area are similar domain-like establishments. In Cedar Park, we're getting something called Indigo Ridge that's going to host a world tennis training facility. In Pflugerville, we're going to get an 80-acre A little space as well. I forget the name. They all have fancy names. There's Catalyst Project on Riverside. They're going to be tearing down the old Austin Statesman and doing something there. Well, we just got word of a new one, and it's right by the airport. Yes, yes, there's something happening by the airport, finally, besides gas stations, right? Um, So there's no uh, fancy name. Actually, there is a fancy name for this one. It's called Velocity. Uh, it's 300 acres. They're going to have over 1.5 million square feet of mixed use space. And it is it's anchored by H.E.B. and a Chanel Capsum Cosmetics Factory. Um, gosh, I'll tell you what, I, I just moved into this area. Uh, Tesla is going to be right up the street
0: from my house. I am going to say we're close to that Tesla uh, giga factory, huh?
3: Yeah, and then and then now, this all in a week's time, we got word from Tesla and we got word about this in a week's time. Um, super excited. What do you guys think about about all these little mixed use spaces popping up around the city?
0: It is just a matter of time, the amount of buyers that we have in this city and activity we have in the city, um, opposed to sellers and I mean, it's just, it's blowing up like crazy. And I feel like if anything, the pandemic only boosted it up even more. I mean, Ian, your thoughts on how it's changed with the pandemic and like, you know, it feels like nothing slowed down for us. It feels like it's ramped up, if anything. Well, it's
2: interesting because people that I've spoken to that um, previously were talking about maybe getting like a one bedroom condo are now. Wanting something a little bit bigger because they're realizing they might be spending more time at home. Um, even when all of this is over, they might be working from home. So maybe getting something larger, which means maybe venturing out a little bit outside of downtown. Um, and Greg, the you know velocity is something that that area is in dire need of of some retail because where you are, you know, driving 15 minutes to the nearest grocery store. Isn't always the fun thing to do. So I, I think we're going to start seeing that as areas with with less development starts getting built up with homes. Mm-hmm. They've got to bring commercial, you know, after that.
3: Exactly. So Brandon, if you're looking for an investment property, get a hold of John and he'll point you in the right direction. A place here in
1: Austin. <laughs> you know, I actually uh, listened to uh, man. I, I don't even know. It was like two or three weeks ago your uh your guys podcast on the coronavirus you guys were kind of giving an update and i think just yeah, the hearing no i don't I've, i'm putting uh faces to voices now which is kind of weird um but i think it was ian that was talking about the market and uh and uh how long the properties had been on the market and how that compares to last year. I guess you guys get year by year data, um, Mm -hmm. which I thought was very unique. So, and I I did, I will say I did go back and co-sign and I will say whoever's listening to this, these guys are smart. They don't look as good as I thought they would look, but they are smart. (laughs) Um, And Greg, I don't know what you were selling earlier, but your energy, I'm I'm a big believer in energy. Fires me up, huh? Fires you up. Oh yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. I, I think you're in real He's estate always too. way to go. Yeah. I love it. Greg, I love it. Yeah. I feel like you just wake up and you're just like, what's yeah. up today?
2: Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, well, uh, oh, go ahead. if you're, li- if you're listening to this episode, maybe Texas, Gregson sent, sent about a three minute, uh, freestyle rap to us earlier today. So Dude,
3: that's for me, yeah. guy, man.
2: Well, you know, if you want it, you can have it.
0: Give us a message on Insta, wherever. We'll send it to you. All we'll
2: <laughs> righty, folks. That is all we got for you today. Uh, thank you again, Brandon, for for coming by and sharing your story. Are you, um, where can people find you the best? Is it Twitter
1: or yeah. Instagram? To be honest, like I, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter's probably better. Uh, it's just Chambers Hoop hoops at chambers hoops uh instagram is at chambers bm uh but on twitter i post motivational stuff i post books you know whatever it might be awesome Alrighty, don't forget to
2: subscribe to us on itunes give us that five star rating and be sure to check us out on instagram at what's brewing atx that's all we got for you
3: cheers
2: cheers guys <laughs>